0: Welcome to Electionspeakers.com, a nonpartisan analysis of the speaking skills of major political candidates and others affecting your voting decisions, and is brought to you by the Speech Improvement Company. Here are your hosts for Electionspeakers.com, Lori Schloff and Dr. Dennis Becker.
1: Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Dennis Becker, and this is Electionspeakers.com, the place to hear unique critique of the speaking styles of candidates and others who are part of this presidential campaign. And today is April. It's not April, is it? Boy, today is November the 10th, and we have just finished the campaign and election season. We're all excited about that. No wonder I think it's April. It feels like it's gone on for so long. But today we have joining us uh, uh, two special guests who are with us uh, and have been with us over the course of the season. Let me uh, announce to you around the radio dial from right to left. Monica Murphy, professional speech coach of international fame, is with us today. Great to be here once again. Thank you. Joining us also is our special guest, uh, our professional speech coach, Laverne Gosby.
0: Great to be here, Dennis. Thank you. And joining
1: us from our Tampa office by phone today is our co-host, Lori Schlaff. Welcome, Lori.
2: Hello from sunny Florida.
0: All
1: right. Okay. You don't have to rub it in. We're we're coming from Boston, so we're hearing you. (laughs) <laughs> and Laurie is with us, uh, as I say, by phone from our Tampa office, and so she's joining us. We have a lot to talk about today, and today, by the way, is the last in the series of electionspeakers.com. Uh, we were designed to go through the elections uh, campaign season, and we have done that, and we're delighted with all of those of you who, who have been with us all that time. We've heard from so many of you, and we want to let you know that we're going to be continuing on, not as electionspeakers.com, because the elections are over but uh looks like at the moment we're going to be continuing on on a monthly basis as politicianspeak.com. And we'll talk more about that as we go along and you'll certainly hear from more hear more of it about, uh, about that from us as we go along. So, Lori, lead on.
2: Sure. Sure. righty. November 4th, 2008, a day that's passed and a day perhaps we never thought would arrive all these months. So, I'm- very very eager to hear from my colleagues well what did you think of Obama's speech a very a very very important speech for him and for American history any comments about McCain's confession speech didn't get as much attention but, but perhaps it's also an important speech also you know I've been collecting everybody the questions that clients ask me about the candidates, so I have those as well so anyone want to get started did you think Obama's speech was great? He's known for being a great speaker. What was good about it? Uh, what didn't you like, if anything? And, and what did you notice? We, we love all your insights.
1: Well, I, I not only thought it was good at the time, but as I've listened to it and looked at, in, in, looked at it in pieces over the last few days, uh, it seems to me that it, it's one of the better speeches that has been uh, spoken and uh, entered into the archives of American history. He covered so many of the interesting and valuable pieces, and in, in, I thought in a very appropriate way. Uh, but at any rate, that's my quick opinion. Laverne, how about you?
0: I thought it was an excellent speech. He commanded the stage. He was there, at, we were talking about this earlier, he was there on stage by himself, And he did an excellent job. Excellent use use of quotes and stories. It's like, if I may say, a a minister in in the African-American church, where you get that emotion going. And then he has a way to silence it and get people teary-eyed.
1: Monica Murphy, how about you?
3: I I thought overall, what a wonderful balance, and and as Laverne mentioned, what a great use of inclusive language, what a great use of referring to people like Abe Lincoln, what a great use of the family emotional impact, like Promising the Puppy, and even towards the end, he really did have that building where he had the chanting, and He even showed a little more emotion, let a little bit more of that out with his smiling, and it just, it was a feel-good speech, I thought, and it ended on such a high note. It was really, as Dennis said, going in the archives. It will be one that will be referenced for a long time to come. How
1: about you, Lori? How did it hit you?
3: Oh, it hit
2: me in my heart. And, you know, sometimes as a speech coach, you do want to be totally objective, so when something gets through that objectivity and into your heart, Mm. it's absolutely... It's so memorable. Good point. And though we try not to be swayed by emotions. I mean, that's one of the questions that clients ask. Is it okay to be swayed by emotions?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Right. One
2: one small observation I have that Dennis, you and I discussed, is that we felt that Obama's facial expression throughout his acceptance speech was perhaps more serious, perhaps more somber than during other talks. He did smile at times, but was he reflecting a new way of thinking, feeling, and being at, at this moment in history? It no. certainly,
1: it certainly seemed that way to me. I mean, I, I think it was the first time in the campaign that I saw in him, the realization that oh my goodness, I did win. This is going to happen. I got to do all this stuff, and uh, I thought he reflected it very well. It was very, uh, he was a strong, had a strong reflectiveness to it. It didn't look like, wow, here I am, kids. It wasn't like that. It was more excitement, anticipation. Determination, so I thought it was great. Uh, Laverne uh, there were hi- uh, there were highlights uh, about the speech, things that he said that struck you more than others or not.
0: Oh yeah, I, and I, I noticed it, the same thing Lauren Dennis said when he was speaking, especially the first half of it, he was very serious. I was sitting there thinking, where's that that smile you know, but he was mm-hmm. very serious, going from left to right and you know focusing on the crowd and the people. And I I thought that was great. Another thing that I like was his reference to Ann Nixon Cooper, the 106-year-old. And although I'm not quite that old, I remember what she was talking about. Um, Even afterwards, um, when she was talking, when she made her presentation, we saw her uh, this weekend talking as well, all of that energy was there. And she reflected back on those days and how important it was for her to see something like this happen, because she never thought in her lifetime that she would see history made like this.
2: Right. I want everyone's comments on the idea of this large gathering thing. I remember when I saw the Beatles at Shea Stadium. It was considered like a revolutionary concept, you know, that that people could be seen in such a large form. Um, is this working for Obama? Is it too grand? Is it possible to be intimate in that kind of setting? And is there something like a crowd mentality that happens that's either negative or very positive?
3: I think two things on that, Lori. First, I was, believe it or not, just given the day and the day and age we live in, I was almost fearful that that something might happen because there were so many people. The crowd was so large. So part of me just was nervous for that. But the other part, I think, builds such excitement because there were so many people and it was such a happy cause. So many of the reasons we've seen large groups get together recently, it has not been for happy reasons. So I thought that the energy seemed great coming from the crowd as I watched. And there wasn't anything uh, that looked very disruptive. It seemed like the momentum was all moving in the right direction with that, uh, with with the size of the crowd. So it, it seemed like good energy to me, at least watching it the way it was covered by the media.
2: I know you've coached a lot of people for pretty large groups. What, what do you think the experience is like to talk to 100,000 people? And if you were coaching a person who was, I mean, it's not going to happen every day, but, I mean, would it be a
1: different kind of coaching? Yeah, there is something special that you have to coach into those kind of speakers. When you're speaking to a crowd that large, or even if it's not that large, but to you it's very large, which could mean 100 people in some cases. You know, you're not used to speaking to that. And you wonder, how can I possibly reach all these people? There's, there's a very important thing to keep in mind as a speaker, and certainly we do as coaches, that when you're uh, attempting to connect, to participate, and to allow the, the persons in the seats to participate with you, there are two levels of participation and interaction. One, of course, is physical. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. There's all of that kind of chanting. Mac is back. Mac is back. You know, Even Joe the Plumber. Joe, there's a sort of an interactive, physical interaction that occurs between the speaker and the listeners. That's one level, and you can get that going. Obviously, we saw that even with a large, large crowd. However, there is a second level, and this is the one that is most helpful to speakers who are not in those sort of rambunctious environments like a political setting, and that is the mental level of connection. It is possible to say a word, to to turn a phrase that resonates with people, with a person, not just with people, but with a person. I don't care if they're number 86,271 in the stadium. It will resonate with that person. And a good speaker knows that saying a particular word or phrase in a particular way will resonate with each individual in the large group, just as they would resonate with us a group of five or six people around you. It's not just a facial expression. It's not just the inflection, both of which, of course, are critical, but it's the ability to choose the words and to say those words as correctly, as accurately as you can so that each person in that room, that stadium, that large audience, that venue identifies with that word. That's when you get large, large responses, because people feel it, no matter how far back, how far away they are from the speaker, they feel that you are talking their language. And he's been able to do that better than almost any speaker we've seen in a long, long, long time. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, actually, speaking of language, one of the, I was forming my list of questions clients ask, um, whoever wants to weigh in on this one, um, take a stab at it. Does Obama write his own speeches?
1: Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. It, uh, in interviews I've heard with his advisors, they all say this is very much the way he is. That's him. So I think definitely mm-hmm. he, does his, he does his own.
3: Not really? I, th- <clears throat> I think what's going to be interesting to see here is as we go forward with, say, press conferences and State of the Address, will he be consistent in the way he's come across? And when he, that's when we may see a, a difference, Lori, to your point about do you think he writes his own information. Some of the interviews I've seen, I know they've said that he... He's always there involved with it, whether he writes them all on his own. I don't know. I think he's got a team helping him to make sure he's consistent, to make sure he, you know, addresses the right pieces. But it certainly does seem uh, genuine to him. Here's some
2: other questions I get. Um, everybody, where are the teleprompters?
3: Well,
1: there are, they're in the same places that every, no. every speaker puts them. But it's interesting that I've noticed they, have three they, there, they? are further away from him. Well, maybe it's because he can he can see them, but they're further away. They're typically uh, when a speaker's any speaker is using either they call them teleprompters or presidential paddles. Sometimes they call them. They're about four to five feet away from where the speaker is located. His I have noticed are a good eight to ten feet away. Now that may be an eyesight issue, but I doubt it. I think it's more an issue of he wants to be able to to span the audience mm-hmm. in a little bit broader mm-hmm. fashion. I, and I think he uses them very well.
0: Yeah, and, and funny you used to say that because over the weekend I had a conversation with a colleague who insisted that he did not use teleprompters. No. That's, <laughs> that's
1: how that, good he uses them. Yeah, that's how yeah, well he, right. right. he does. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. really
2: not only were there teleprompters, something I learned, Monica, which I think will make you feel a little bit better, maybe you already read this, is that there were an, it's an eight foot plex, plexiglass bulletproof mm-hmm. shield surrounding him. Yes, yeah, on,
1: on two sons, separating
2: think, him yeah. from the audience. I,
3: I did notice that. That yeah. was really. I, was that there every time he spoke? Because no, I only noticed I it on his it. acceptance yeah, speech it's day. Yeah, the only
1: time I saw. Well, it's the first time that the Secret Service literally had uh, yeah. had the power and the, the justification mm-hmm. to come in and do their thing with him? Now. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and then here's a the question I get asked all the time: if, Is Barack Obama a trained speaker?
1: You know, I, I guess
2: opinion weigh in.
1: Hmm. I, don't, I don't really know the answer to that question, but boy, I sure want to find out, and you can bet that there will be lots of research to tell us that's the right. answer, but he <laughs> certainly, I, don't, I get the sense he is not trained in the sense that
3: you and I mean it.
0: Right. I do, too. I do, too. He's very well-spoken, but I don't think
2: that's So self-trained may be better.
3: And, and perhaps he's self-trained or coached for certain environments. I mean, I think we've talked in many episodes before that sometimes he's not consistent. His communication style didn't seem as if he was well-coached for, say, the town meeting versus the forum versus the acceptance speech. So I don't think we've seen such consistency in the way he speaks at different events to, to, to maybe align with him being coached. One, right, one
1: One item of coaching that I noticed with him goes back to the Saddleback interview. Remember when they did mm. those early on with mm-hmm, that reverend mm-hmm. guy? And he was really lambasted for that. I mean, he had a lot of, oh, right. well, uh, very slow, looking away from the camera, very thoughtful, very insightful, mm-hmm. uh, very reflective kind of thing. Did not serve him well. From mm-hmm. that day on, somebody got to That's him and why. said, no, no, mm-hmm. do this. And the coaching, as I think as coaches we would all right. do, right. somebody said to him, when you get a question, answer it immediately. Don't Mm -hmm. be so silent and reflect. And the answer, I'm sure, would have been, I remember in the days of Al Gore, when we were doing some work with, with Al Gore, I'm thinking... You can't be thinking that long. You've got to be yes. responsive. You've got to be able to to, to look and sound decisive. Mm-hmm. That's a lesson that he definitely learned, and I thought that was coaching in between.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to save the big question about whether you think he's one of the greatest speakers in American history that you're aware of for a little bit later. I want to uh, have people comment about John McCain's concession speech. Not a great night for him. How did he do in talking about his defeat?
0: I think he... Was his concession was nice, and uh, he he was he was okay. He was great <laughs> in that sense. Of, um, you thought you his know. style was
2: was good. See, I yeah. feel like he's come across as down for a long time, and this was just another example of him acting down.
0: You know, for example, he said um, it, it was his. It, there's his quote: "One of the best campaigns that he's ever seen," and he blamed himself. He stated that he blamed himself and not others. So I thought that was very gracious. Whether that's the case or not, he was being very
3: gracious. Mm -hmm.
2: Other other
3: comments. I thought, Monica. I was going to say I thought the speech started off okay. Maybe I give him a C, average. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't not what I expected. It was what I expected. But I will say, I thought the, towards the end was much, much better. He seemed to almost humble himself a little bit. He seemed to use more inclusive language in terms of reaching across party lines. He seemed more willing to show that he would align himself made comments related to the greater good of the country. I was actually very, very impressed with his last 45 to 90 seconds of his, of his speech. Okay, all one, right.
1: One thing that struck me about the speech, uh, and this is as much about the listeners as it was about the speech, one thing that struck me was that if you recall when he was speaking, he mentioned the name Barack Obama. We have to congratulate that. Boo, boo. We heard a lot of boos uh-huh. from the audience, okay? And to his credit, he said, no, no. And he went on, okay? He, so he kind of kind of tamed them a little bit. But what struck me was that's I, I, in my in, in my years doing this, I don't ever recall in a concession speech when the loser, so to speak, mentioned the name of the winner and said, we have to get behind him. he's our president, blah blah blah, that there was booing like that.
3: Yeah, that was crazy.
1: They you know when when John, when John Kerry lost as much as there was this feeling about George Bush. You didn't hear that booing. You really didn't. And to go back at all of the speakers that I can recall that were in presidential elections. Mm. There wasn't that kind of histrionic. To his credit, McCain did try to, to quell that and say, look, he's going to be president for all of us. Now, I think he should have done that more so during the campaign. campaign, And that brings me to uh, Sarah Palin, which I want to talk about in a couple of minutes, and how she was responsible from her speaking mm-hmm. uh, style with that booing, but at any rate, I thought the concession speech was okay. Like I agree with Monica, was just okay.
2: You know, one comment, and then let's go on to Sarah Palin. That I'm thinking about um, as a coach and reflecting on it. And I'm going to first say that the following thing happened when I was at a client's. A client talked. A client, a male client, talked about how he was sort of booed in a way you might view, boo in business, when he was asked to speak to female salespeople about um, how to sell to females. Hmm. All right, he was, and, you know, he was sort of doing a good deed, but they didn't like what he said. So now, I, I, with that in mind, there's something McCain has done which strikes a wrong note inside of me, and has caused me to give certain advice to uh, my clients. And, you know, I want to see if you if you fellow speech coaches agree or disagree with me. I really don't care for and have a very negative emotional reaction when he talks about racial issues. So, for example, I felt extremely uncomfortable when, right after he congratulated Barack Obama on November 4th, he said, a hundred years ago, Booker T. Washington, who, of course, was a great scientist, was not allowed. In the White House, I feel uncomfortable now. Help me. Am I right? Am I wrong? Am I on target? Um, but certainly, I tend to tell folks, "Don't start preaching about something that you're not." And wanted your reaction about that.
3: Hmm. Well,
1: I I wasn't offended by it, but uh, I understood why he was saying it,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, drawing the sort of the Look how far we've come in race race relations in our country. That's the, what I drew out of it. However, you,
2: you drew a good intention, which is not
1: what I drew. How, however, I think that the good intention in that was an unnecessary attention, which did draw attention to mm-hmm. an aspect mm-hmm. of the accomplishment that didn't need to be stated. And the more and we that talk, that Barack
2: Obama has many times says he does not want stated.
1: Yeah, and the more we talk about it, even if we say, I'm not going to talk, it's like asking, how, when did you stop beating your wife? You know, you can't answer that kind of a question. You cannot ignore that once it's been it been entered into. So uh, I didn't, I don't think he meant it that way. I literally don't think that John McCain and his advisors know the difference. I don't think they know how to talk about race without sounding racist. Yeah, I,
0: I didn't think of it that way either. Um I think he was just trying to make a point and perhaps uh, use a poor (laughs) analogy.
1: Well, I still maintain, if you are
2: audience's client, uh, if you become clients or give a speech, be careful about talking about groups who you're not part of. It's just something I'd, I'd raise a caution flag about.
3: Oh, sure. Well, then there's a level of genuineness about that. Do I can I make a comment and sound genuine about something that I'm not truly a part of? So it's you raise right, a good point, Laurie. Thanks, yeah. thanks, yeah. Um, th-
2: thanks for the opportunity to raise, for raising it. I'd love to hear
3: thoughts about Sarah Palin. Well, let's start off with speaking of booing, if I could, because one of the things I've seen in this campaign, and I mean I'm I've been in a few involved with a few campaigns that have gone on, and I have not seen much booing, but boy, was it trendy this time. And even though this was a much lighter thing, just when Sarah Palin was talking to Pennsylvania and she started, she was in Pittsburgh and she started off by congratulating them on their winning of the World Series. And she was (laughs) tremendously booed. And for anybody that's not familiar, Pennsylvania has... The Phillies, but they also have the Pittsburgh Pirates. And so she was in Pirates territory and commented on the Phillies and was booed for that. No, they're so
1: competitors she It was didn't a com- know that.
3: That makes <laughs> me think several things. One, did her speech team write that? Two, did she stray from her script and try to be spontaneous? Yeah. Oops. Three, why was she booed when she was trying to just be genuine? You know, so there. Just the, the idea of booing, I think, was a very trendy thing to do this, this round in the election. But I was very disheartened to see that. I, I think she rose above it. But um, but I think it, to your point about booing and to what we've seen with Sarah Palin, I think it's also trendy now to be on the defensive with her because of some of the things that have happened. I'll be uh, looking forward to hearing what my fellow colleagues say about that. mm-hmm. Uh-huh,
1: uh-huh. But my sense of the Palin speaking style was that it was part of the problem that McCain had. His speaking style is so different. The two of them had such a difference, had such different speaking styles that mm-hmm. it got a little bit uh, confusing and scary, I think, to the, the, to the voters. Uh, who, who am I really voting for? Who's really the power in this, mm-hmm. in this couple? Who really makes the decisions? She seemed to go off script. She seemed to have a style that was very, was much more erratic than his. Mm-hmm. And listen, the guy, uh, uh, sadly enough, he's, she was a 74-year-old heartbeat away from being president. Yeah. And then do we want, as a voter, do we want to have this dramatic change from what his, his style is if I vote for him and then suddenly get her? I thought the styles were too completely yeah, right. different. not talking about whether they were effective or not. Mm-hmm. They were just too different mm-hmm. in order to have the, both of them elected.
0: I agree. Very, the, There's a very big difference between the two. And hers was, of course, more energetic, um, upbeat, bringing attention to McCain, who was a little less.
3: But boy, did she breathe life into the campaign when it happened. I mean, even in her first after her first speech, eight points up in the polls. I mean, they just shot up because she was able to reach people in a way that McCain was not, especially within the Republican Party. And I think that that, you know, for that, she deserves quite a bit of credit. I think it was a very strategic move to bring her in. Whether or not it was effective, I think it was effective like a Big Bang Theory right up front. Very effective. But then it brings on the questions that we're hearing now. It was as if they found a speaker that did so many of the things McCain wasn't able to generate in terms of the level of passion, the level of variety, the, his, her, her, her ability to just really get people motivated it just wasn't happening with McCain's style so i think it it at first it was a, a wonderful introduction but then as i think you're saying it was too different yeah. and people felt confused who am i getting what am i getting do i even know this person so once the pizzazz wore off um that's where really i think it became a challenge about how different their styles really really are i
1: mean if you look at her listen to her don't forget look at her for a second if you listen to her as a speaker she's a pretty good speaker mhm Good voice, clear, easy to understand. Forget the accent. Good voice, clear, easy Articulate. to understand. Mm-hmm. Articulation and pronunciation was good. Her pacing was good. When mm-hmm. she told that, first thing she, that, that impressed me was when she told that joke about the lipstick and the pig and the hockey mom, mm-hmm. her timing was perfect on that. Yes. Yeah. And for someone who was in front of a large audience for the very first time, I mean, I thought she was great. And so her technical speaking skills were very, are good. Are good, and I suspect she will continue to use as well. After all, she had beauty pageant training, she had on television training, so mm-hmm. she, you know, she's got some background in coaching and training and that sort of thing. But she was good. Unfortunately, she was good for about one inch mm-hmm. and couldn't go any deeper than that. Right. And so she's got a lot to learn about how to be on that level of uh, uh, expectation on a political level. And she may do well in a talk show, but political level. No. Well, and that's, and that's,
3: you know, I mean, that's, that's also an unknown. Think about the Katie Couric interview. When she is unscripted, it's, it's a scary thought as yeah. well. But that's yeah. entertaining.
0: It's yes. entertaining, yes. yeah.
2: I just want to explore this thing of being different. Because couldn't two people be, be very different, but both be um, exciting candidates in their own way without it being confusing?
1: I don't think so. I think they need to be close enough or. Mm-hmm. Uh, so look, O'Biden and Obama, are, uh, O'Biden, yeah, like how many times <laughs> do I say that, O'Biden? <clears throat> Obama and Biden are certainly different. But they expressed a similarity, a congeniality, a sameness, an acceptance of, a clarity of, an understanding of each other that I don't think the uh, uh, McCain and, and uh, Palin did. And I, I think that's too scary for people.
3: Well, and in all fairness, when you think about Biden and Obama, they could align with a lot of things. They both had some similar experiences. They both had been in similar roles. They, it was e- easier for them to talk about similarities amongst the two of them family men, blah, 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 the things they talked about. You really couldn't, I don't think we could see that as much with Palin and McCain. There doesn't seem to be a lot of similarities in them. Mm. Sex, age, you know, so many things were so different between them that uh, I think it was, it was hard to make, to feel comfortable with them as a partnership. It was easier to feel that way, I think, with Obama and Biden, for sure.
1: Laverne, how do you, how do you feel about this? Was, uh, was Palin too different from McCain, uh, too similar? What do you think about this?
0: There was um, a big difference her energy level, like we talked about, articulation, command of the audience was very, very good. I think what happened was when we mixed in the issue of the economy and things started mm-hmm. to uh, fall, that, uh, and then they placed her in front of people that are very experienced at doing this and some things happened there, it just lessened her credibility perhaps.
2: Okay, everybody. In uh, August 2004, I guess I was lucky because I wasn't feeling so hot, and I was watching the Democratic National Convention. I come from a family, by the way, of political junkies. I then continued to have one of the uh, a transformative experience as a speech coach, as I watched Barack Obama give one of the most amazing speeches I had ever witnessed, and I was witnessing it live. I still think that I was right, uh, that he, Barack Obama is one of the greatest public speakers or re- rhetoricians in American history. I'm just going to name three things, and I want you to weigh in about it. Um, he has this way of reaching others emotionally. He's able to talk about his vision, as we know all great leaders do. He speaks with the right words at the right time. And importantly, makes others feel included and involved. So those are hints for other people who want to become great. So you, you know, I tend to be dramatic. So I'm interested in your thoughts about this. Some of the greatest speakers in American history we have not heard. We've heard. We can't hear Daniel Webster. We can't hear Benjamin Franklin. So we, we admittedly, we can't compare him to everybody. What
1: are your thoughts? Oh, and that's the issue. I think it's mm-hmm. a, the greatest speaker in any environment. It has to do with the environment and the setting that they're in. So uh, he may be the greatest speaker we have on on the scene today, but I don't know that I'd say he's one of the greatest in American history because he's yet to prove, th- to me anyway, mm-hmm. that the speaking skills he has uh, are able to do anything other than get him elected. Right. Let's find out if <laughs> the, the others you're, you mentioned... I mean, you're you,
2: really underplaying that, my dear. Yeah, but
1: you talked about... Two you, years?
2: No, he
1: was just a, um, a United States
2: enter- senator. I mean, yeah, so, I, I, I'm kind of shocked at what so, you just said.
1: So far, in his the, speech
2: took him from being an ordinary senator to president of the United
1: States. Yes, that's right. And for the United States, he has done uh, uh, nothing yet. Daniel Webster, Benjamin Franklin, Abraham Lincoln, some of the others that you were, were going to talk about. These people have not only a proven record as speakers before, but also during their, their time in office. And that's what I'm looking for with him. I expect he will do well, and I expect he will be considered one of the best. He certainly has to maybe be considered the best, if not one of the best, in getting elected. But that's not, the, to me, that's not the only measure we're going to use in making him mm-hmm. best in American history.
0: Yeah, I, he's very good, very emotional. But when you say he always knows the right words to say at the right time, that, that I, I question that because the, the issue with Nancy Reagan
2: came up this weekend. Well, that was not, that I was saying as a public speaker, and I know we can talk a lot about this, I meant when he's giving a speech, not when he's spontaneous. Okay. All yeah, right. When he's giving a speech, actually I think he has a lot to learn. About thinking on his feet.
1: You mean a prepared speech?
2: A prepared speech. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's one of the greatest prepared speakers in American history.
1: I have no nope, idea. That's I have no idea. What I, I, meant. idea. I, just, I can't. For clarifying. I, I just can't measure that because I haven't. No. I don't know whether. Uh, Benjamin Franklin prepared his speeches. They were, uh, well, technology
3: forbids us from really knowing those yeah. things, you know, and the way they're captured. I, I certainly think he's done an outstanding job of of um, using the right words. Certainly, making people feel included, and he's done an excellent job when he delivers speeches of using the technology, how he uses the teleprompters, how he moves yeah. his body. He does make it all come together in a way that really reaches people. And I think what we have yet to see is um, Daniel Webster, Ben Franklin, some of these others that we've mentioned have gone on to continuously be good speakers. So he has, like you said, Lori, he's given two great speeches so far, his 04 and his acceptance. Well, more Let, than two. Well, it's more not, than not two. Up to four now. <clears throat> more yeah, than okay. that. But, I mean, let's see, let's see his next great speech when he's in this different role. Does that change? Does that stay the same? But, uh, well, the I, next
2: one will be January 20th, 2009.
1: Well, actually, I thought the next one already happened. I thought he handled that press conference very, very well last week. His Mm -hmm. speech patterns and so forth, his words and so forth, were chosen very well. Mm -hmm. And I thought the first press conference went very well for him. But we'll measure it as it goes along. Right. Well, really great thoughts so far. And uh, we've come to the end of this program, so I'm going to ask each of our... Uh, participants, our professional coaches to wrap up for us, and Lori Schloff, professional speech coach and author and co-host and good friend, I'd like to come to you first. Give us 30 seconds on how you felt about how this whole thing went.
2: Okay, well, it's been really, really gratifying at many, many levels to be part of electionspeakers.com. Though I am glad the election is over, we're on to the next phase of looking at political speakers I do feel a little sad because it was a lot of fun having that excitement from week to week, um, starting with um, Hillary, uh, then moving on to focusing on uh, Barack and McCain. And it's, um, it's been a real learning experience for our clients. Our clients have learned a heck of a lot about what makes for a great speech, uh, what are some of the things you want to avoid, what are some of the things you want to do to inspire, motivate and to promote an environment where where you can lead. So more to come, and it's been wonderful working with my terrific colleagues like you three.
1: Laverne Gosby, our professional speech coach, please, your thoughts.
0: I like to say that it was wonderful to have this opportunity, and I know that it was helpful to a lot of people. I've gotten some feedback, so we will continue, and it will be just as exciting.
1: Right, thank you. Monica Murphy, professional speech coach. International. Please. Well,
3: as fabulous as thank you, as Lori has said, too, being part of a team of colleagues is terrific because I will be the first to say that I have learned a few things, especially having some of the great guest hosts that we've had. Uh, my conversations with my clients have been tremendous in talking about this feedback from clients actually around the world, and I have so loved that. Uh, I feel so grateful to have been part of this. The camaraderie that we've had, the techniques and terms and things that we've shared, and I think especially the level of awareness that we've brought to people about delivery of speech has been just a, another great part of what we offer at Speech Improvement Company, and I've just been delighted to be part of this team. Thank you.
1: Great thoughts, as usual, from all of my colleagues here at electionspeakers.com. And you know, there's an old Irish blessing that says, may you live in interesting times. Well, this surely has been an interesting time. We've been blessed with interesting political speakers. Uh, the first woman, Hillary Clinton, to be... Uh, Considered so seriously for the presidency, the first African-American man to be nominated and then elected to the presidency with the largest voter turnout in United States history. Barack Obama won this election with the coalition of young and old, black and white, voters from all across the nation. How did this young, relatively unknown senator from Illinois defeat a well-known, popular senator, war hero from Arizona? In brief... He talked his way in. No, 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 I'm, now I'm not being snide or sarcastic. Barack Obama literally introduced himself to voters for the first time at the 2004 Democratic National Convention in Boston. As a keynote speaker there, he excited the attendees and the many of those who heard him on radio and TV with his speaking ability. And throughout this 2008 presidential campaign, he was able to attract, excite, invigorate, and even enthrall thousands and thousands of listeners. He confronted the sensitive issue of race in a memorable speech in Philadelphia, followed that by a speech in uh, in Berlin to more than 200,000 people, imagine, and uh, he followed that by his acceptance of the Democratic nation- uh, nomination to more than 80,000 listeners in Denver, followed that by speaking to some <laughs> of the largest crowds ever seen in political campaigning. Now, do you hear this A pattern emerging here, folks? Barack Obama has been able to talk his way to the top, literally. His speaking skills have propelled him to uh, international fame. Of course, his message of hope combined with the nation's need for change had a lot to do with his success. But his abilities as an orator have been unmatched by any of the other candidates in this election cycle. In this age of electronic wizardry and Slick and slippery advertising, Barack Obama stands as tribute and evidence to the value of good speaking skills, and it's that dedication to helping every man, woman, and child in this country to be the best that they can be as speakers that has has brought us to bring you electionspeakers.com. And it it reminds us of the capabilities that Aristotle said, (laughs) and he said, distinguishes us. From the other forest animals, the ability to speak and communicate. It's this desire to bring that gift to everyone that's prompted electionspeakers.com, and it's that desire that has stimulated our service to help people communicate here at the Speech Improvement Company for the last 45 years. So let's see if Barack Obama, uh, uh, with his latest example of the power of human speech, uh, can now lead the power and use this power as an example for all of us. So until next time, this is Dr. Dennis Becker saying thanks for listening and bye for now.
0: You've been listening to electionspeakers.com, a nonpartisan analysis of the speaking skills of major political candidates and others included in the 2008 U.S. presidential elections. Electionspeakers.com is a production of the Speech
2: Improvement Company and is posted every Monday.